Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Pirates Talk. Wow, what a week to 10 days it has been. As the world has been turned on its head, as COVID-19 has come to the shores of America, and of course, is affecting so many throughout the world. But it was just 10 days ago or so that we were thinking, well, will Seton Hall be able to turn around its late-season swoon, as small as it was, regain its footing in the Big East tournament? Of course, they were going to go on to the NCAA tournament, but where would their seeding be? And would they be in good form to move beyond not only the first weekend, which they've been unable to do over the last few years, but establish themselves in the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, maybe the Final Four, and do we dare to dream, come home, with a national championship. And it looked that way until Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz was diagnosed with having the coronavirus. The NBA shut down, the NHL shut down, and then slowly as the domino effect took place, basketball tournaments around the country came to an end. Other events too. We've completely shut down on the sports landscape. But with no postseason tournaments. There's no NCAA tournament. And so here we all are wondering, what have we witnessed? Well, certainly it is a moment in history, and we certainly hope that what we're doing in America to flatten the curve and what we're doing with social distancing to try to enhance that flattening of the curve will have an effect, and we will limit those who get the disease and certainly minimize those who die from the disease. So there's a bigger picture here. There's no question about it. But it has left us all a little bit with a feeling of, wow, the world has changed so dramatically. And unfortunately, we don't know when we'll get back to whatever our new normal is, hopefully sooner rather than later. So this week's show probably would have been discussing where the pirates were seated, what bracket they were in what their chances were of getting out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Oh, a little review, of course, of what took place in the Big East tournament. But hoping that the Pirates would be able to, as I said earlier, get that momentum, get their mojo back, and become a force. But that is not what we are going to be able to talk about because there is no tournament. However, we do have things to discuss. And so Jim Spinarkle is the guest this week. Jersey guy through and through, Hudson Catholic star, Duke standout, an NBA career, and once that playing career was over, has established himself over three decades as one of the premier basketball analysts in the country, not only in college basketball, but on the NBA side as well. I've known him for many, many years, and it is my pleasure to welcome Jim Spinarkel to Pirates Talk. So, Jim, thank you very much for giving us some of your time. And I'm just curious as to where you were in your sports world, because, of course, you do work for Yes on Brooklyn Nets games and you're very involved in the college basketball scene. Where were you? What were you about to do when the word came down that we were going to stop everything? Matty, like most of the people, uh, you know, across the country and I guess globally also with paying attention to sports because it's it's kind of you know, all encompassing when it comes to our country, which I think is a positive and great thing. I was, I was just like many of, of the fans out there just watching games that night and then um, keeping my eye on it prior to what was going on and, you know, reading all the stories about whether or not games were going to be canceled, whether games were going to be played in front of, uh, you know, in, in arenas without fans until, 
you know, Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz um, tested positive. And then, uh, you know, to his credit, Adam Silver stepped up and made a decision once he understood, you know, I think we all had a, a good feel for what was going on around the country, uh, the, the, the globe with this here. So Adam stepped in and, you know, made a good decision. And I think, you know, uh, with a lot of consulting with people, as I understand it, and, you know, the other groups got together in the NCAA tournament, for example, the NHL, Major League Baseball. So I think sports is great for the country. And it's also an indicator of what's going on because the way it touches not only the players and their safety, but also the fans and their safety across the, uh, the country. And I think it also shows, to your point, about how important it is to so many of us in that, and I work seasonally, the NHL has come to an end, paused at this point, we'll see what happens, but I work till the season is over, that's my normal routine, and then I've got my off season, and you just kind of move on to other things, I can watch uh, if the Devils aren't deep into the playoffs, I watch the NHL playoffs, I watch the NBA playoffs, baseball starts, football camps open up. I I can't watch anything. It's it's all shut down, and I find myself looking around, saying, "All right, what's going to keep me interested?" And so uh, I, I found Netflix. There's this thing called Netflix that has a lot of good shows on it. I'm told my kids uh, have told me, and so yeah, I've I've had to find something else to fill the time. Which is, it's amazing how much time it took up, and I'm sure a lot of people listening feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, the first uh, weekend, you know, last Friday when I, you know, was. Uh, basically sitting down to watch TV and do something. I'm like thinking, okay, now what am I going to do? And I gravitated towards Netflix also for a recommendation of my youngest son and his wife. And I think it's, you know, Maddie on a joking side, it's going to be a test of your marriage and my marriage because, <laughs> because, you know, like right now, for example, this particular week where we happen to be speaking, um, I would be somewhere, I don't know what site I would be, but I'd be working the first round of the NCAA tournament. And then next week I would be going to some regional, which would have been, you know, maybe Houston or New York or um, L.A. and Indianapolis, I think, was the fourth. So, you know, just in in our world, my life has changed because now I'm home trying to figure out what to do with myself when these two weeks were. And I mean, I miss it just as much as anybody. I mean, I'm, I'm a diehard NCAA, you know, tournament fan. I think it's the greatest event out of all sports. But I find myself, A, missing it and then B, having the, the fallout of, OK, now what do I do for these days and trying to fill those hours, which were basically totally filled for me over this two week period of time. Yeah, it is a it is a, an odd feeling, of course, to have suddenly that taken away from you. Y- you mentioned maybe the NBA playing in front of empty arenas. That was going to be the case. The NHL was going to do the same before uh, both commissioners, in my opinion, rightfully pulled the plug. I, but were you going to do that Nets game at Golden State? Were you going to be in the studio for that empty arena game? Or were you at that point going to be at a college basketball tournament site? Um, I was not assigned for that. So I was not going to be involved either in the studio or or, or at the game because I'm just doing studio now. So mm-hmm. um, I was getting ready for the A-10 championship, you know, or last week when we were preparing for what would have been this past Sunday, the A-10 championship. So. I was planning on if nothing happened to, um, you know, if this didn't hit, go over to uh, Brooklyn on uh, Saturday, watch the semifinals in preparation for the finals of the A-10 championship. But as we all know, everything got blew up, got blown up. And I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure my feelings on, you know, if, if the, the two choices were don't play. Now, considering the safety of everybody, the two choices were 
well, let's not play the games or play them in em- in empty arenas. Obviously, the junkie in me in terms of basketball and wanting to do it and call a game, I would have voted, okay, let's do it in front of, you know, in, in empty arenas. But it would have lost some of the jazz to it. There's no question about that. But I think, and I'm, this is unfortunate because I think it, even if we were able to do that in televised sports right now with nobody in the arenas, which we can't, I think this time now, knowing what's occurred over the last 10 days, I think it would have been a nice break of the boredom and a good lift for everybody from a sports standpoint, just to take their minds off what we can't pretty much take our minds off hourly by hourly over the last, you know, 10 days or so. I was speaking with a player uh, from the Devils prior to everything stopping and and he was like, well, what do you think is going to happen? I said, well, you know, they're talking about playing at least they were going to in Ohio because the Ohio governor shut everything down the the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets were going to play a game in front of an empty crowd uh in front of an empty stadium and he said wow he goes that'll be weird he goes that would take me back to like when I was just a kid playing hockey I said yeah the difference is you would not going to then you didn't have to worry about hearing an announcer saying how could he have missed that <laughs> that open net I said we're right. going to come through loud and clear uh and he goes oh I didn't think about that I said yeah now you'll be focused but the fact of the matter is the voices of the announcers would be echoing through the building and there might be a little criticism there. So that would have been odd too. Yeah. That would have been a very interesting thing. Although I think these guys for the most part, you know, I think, I think they understand that people are going to be critical. And from my perspective, and I've heard you do a, a bunch of your broadcasts, I mean, you're objective and, you know, and critical when you need to be, but it's not condescending to people. Um, and I think, you know, we've known each other a long time. You and I and and a lot of people who do this job aren't here to make a name for ourselves, you know, making fun of players, coaches, you know, the uh, the officials. I mean, you have to be objective. You have to call it right down the line in terms of being honest with it. But I'm not going to over, you know, do an an overboard number on somebody just because they missed a shot or whatever, especially the especially the college kids. No, for sure. And and what I say to anyone who asks me, college kids who are in the business and want to uh, have a career in it. They go, well, how do you deal with the criticism? And then you got to face the player. I said, look, nobody likes to hear it, but I often feel that if the player is sitting next to me and heard me say what I said, he would agree with it because I'm not putting him down. I'm just saying, I don't know how he missed the open net or he lost his man and that can't happen. He would say, you know what? You're right. And, and you don't make it personal. And you just say, look, he made a mistake out there and you move on. So as long as you don't do that, be condescending, as you said, as long as you don't yeah. make it personal. I think most players would say, I wish you didn't have to say it. And you could have maybe toned it down a little bit, but you were right. right. I blew it. Yeah. But you know, the, the player, and as a former player, I didn't need to hear it. Not that we could hear the, the announcer mm-hmm. or anybody else, because you knew as soon as you missed the shot or you missed the layup, I didn't need anybody coming up to me and say, Hey, you missed that layup because you didn't go up. <laughs> You know, you you knew it, and then you knew the only person that was going to really get on you. You look, you, you try to avoid the eye line and eyesight of the coach because the coach <laughs> was going to get. But the I think I think people are hardened to it now. Once again, there is a soft side of society that sometimes maybe guys overreact to it. But if you're being fair and honest, I think most players would say just what you just said. He said, you know what? I mean, you know, it's like almost to us, it would be it doesn't take a genius to figure out. I just missed the open, you know, the open net just then, right? Yeah. 
Exactly. Thanks for pointing out yeah. what everybody knows, Mr. Obvious. Thank you very much. Hey, <laughs> going back to the A10 for a second, what were you looking forward to most? Uh, not knowing, of course, who would make it to the championship game, but I mean, Dayton's been such a great story. Yeah, you know, Dayton, I was looking forward to seeing them because I'd watched them on television a, couple, a few times. So going over to watch them in the semifinals would have been fun. I guess, you know, seeing which team was up to the task of probably, you know, taking them off their their great season, at least for the A-10 championship. Um, and, you know, I've been fortunate. I forget, I think it's like five or six years now, Matt, I've been doing the A-10 championship. So that's always been a lot of fun. They have a great league and it just seems that their finals and their semifinals are always fun to watch. But, you know, it, Dayton is one of the stories and there's, you know, I was going to say there's a hundred of them, but there's more than a, there's probably thousands of stories across the country where you would have liked to have seen from a sports fan standpoint, everybody who's on the Dayton team, the coaches, administration, the fans, the boosters would have loved to have seen Dayton try to make a run because of the year they've had. But you know what? You could say the same thing about Seton Hall and Duke, and you could say the same thing about Auburn and whether or not they bounce back and all the other teams out there. I kind of feel sorry for the kids, even though quote unquote life goes on. I feel sorry for the kids who, with sitting there thinking, okay, we got our, our conference tournaments that we can play, and then hopefully we'll get in the NCAA. And even though you lose at some particular point, because only one team runs the, runs the table, at least you had that feeling of finality. And and right now, and I think that's what's scaring everybody is that you know none of those kids had the finality of being able to finish off their season basketball wise, and it, it's a it's a punch in the gut. I remember. A hundred years ago in 1978, when we lost to Kentucky in the finals, it was funny how you felt you wanted to win, but then you felt, okay, this is over. There's closure to it. And unfortunately for a lot of people, you know, college, college seniors right now who are having their graduations canceled, you know, weddings. I know three people just close to my, my kids who have to postpone their wedding. So you know, with the NCAA tournament, there were just hundreds and hundreds of crazy stories this year. Instead of like saying, usually you had this like one or two teams and maybe Kansas was maybe, the, you know, the top team in the country. But, you know, I don't think and I'm not a gamble. was Kansas a lock to take the NCAA tournament. I think everybody believed that nobody, the, the top two or three teams in the country ranking wise were not a lock to even end up in the final four necessarily. It was such a topsy turvy season with you know one team in the number one spot then losing and then somebody else going in Kansas has uh, you know had a great year but it, it could have been anyone's game and that's the beauty of the tournament hey how do you prepare for all this so it's the A-10 one week or even during the regular season you know you have a big east game then you're doing something for uh the network and it's another conference and you're trying to get as much information as you can. You are a basketball junkie, as you mentioned earlier, and I know you love it, but what's the preparation like? Well, what, what I've done now is I've tried to narrow it down and get smarter in terms of condensing all the information and their, their services and, you know, um, associates that can help you kind of take all of that and funnel it down into a manageable amount of things. But it all, for me, it all starts on just a simple roster board, you know, getting, getting a roster board intact. And then what I do, for example, for the college season, Matt, which is going to sound a little crazy, I will print out probably the top 30 rosters of teams across the country in the after the first month or so of the season is over. I then make a couple of copies of those and I keep them in my house. So when I'm watching games at night, 
I will then, you know, prior to that, after, after 10 games or so, I'll look at all the rosters and, and highlight the guys who are playing. So that when I'm watching a game, like, for example, if I'm watching Auburn versus Utah, just to pick two teams, if, they, if, if they're highly ranked, I'll have their rosters in front of me. So I'm trying to get a feel for the rosters a little bit of who, who the, you know, the, the four or five guys in each team who are playing a lot. So I'll do that and watch a lot of games. But then when I get closer and closer to an assignment that I have, that roster becomes more of a, a living document, if you will, like any, like any play-by-play or analyst does. They have the names and all the, the you know name name rank and serial number on each player, and then I you know start to fill in the appropriate things where necessary, like trends. Like if you know if Matty Lachlan's a player and he's a guard, he's a great three point shooter. But if he's if he's been seven for ten over the last two games, I want to know that. I want to put that down there because if you go zero for three or you go four for four. That I think is pertinent to in terms of being able to tell the audience what's going on and why that guy, why why his shooting is good, but more importantly, um, you know, having that feel for what's going on. And then the other thing that I spend a lot of time with, if I have an assignment coming up, like for the A10, for example, I had already started watching Dayton a little closer than just casually watching the game. So then I start watching Dayton to say, okay. What do what do all these guys do? How do they play? What do they run? How do they play defense? Are they man to man? Are they match up? So I go through that, and I'll watch probably a couple of you know probably a couple of games of each team before I see the assignment, whether it's live TV or now with you know with the tapes and the different you know hoop, hoop one media, which is a great resource. Um, I'll spend a lot of time watching games and watching the players and going to their practices when I'm on site because for me, I want to. I mean my my world of thinking is I've been brought up playing the game fundamentally. I think that's how I played the game and that's how I see it. So I want to make sure that if you're shooting the ball, I want to make sure you're not, if you shoot a, a left-handed shot and I say, Oh, a great left-handed shot. And it turns out that you're a natural lefty. It doesn't make, doesn't make me look too good <laughs> and well-prepared. And I know you get the drift. Yeah, you've got to be prepared. But the best part about what we do, and at times it can be frustrating is you do all this preparation and then sometimes the game just dictates you got to tear it up and just go with what is. And and I love that. Uh, so much of your preparation is really never used. It's got to be there for those occasions when you need it, obviously. But when the game itself takes over, and I think that's for the most part, but yeah, that's what I love. Like, hey, what's happening right now? Because that's what the fan is just digging in for. Yeah, and, and my my way of looking at it from the color commentator or the analyst perspective is that you know, you work with a play-by-play guy who is identifying that Jones just, you know, hit the jump shot, right? So, and if you're on television, you can see that. My my world of what I try to do is tell you why did Jones just get that open jump shot? So I'm looking for things and spending all my time um, because that's redundant. If I just say, oh, that was a great shot. Well, yeah, everybody can see that it was a great shot, but if he, the reason he got the open shot was that it was a delayed screen on the left side of the floor. They looked to the right side of the floor first, and then he came over, and the timing was perfect. I'm trying to hopefully show the casual fan or a fan who's just tuning in for you know to watch a game, trying to quote unquote teach them or educate them a little bit about what's going on. And I find that works for me, and it's my style. And you know, I've been lucky lucky to be doing it. You know, like I think this would have been my 24th NCAA tournament affiliated with the Nets for close to 30 years too. It's been an incredible run and well-deserved because you do bring that player's perspective and that insight that 
A lot of times we don't find in this business. Last couple and we'll let you go. And I do appreciate the time. On the day that we're recording this, Miles Powell earlier in the day was named first team All-American. Your thoughts after having seen him play a lot throughout his career, just what kind of a player is he? Do you see the NBA in his future? And what did you think about Seton Hall's chances both in the Big East and in the big tournament? Yeah, I guess I'd go back to that comment we were talking about before. I think with, you know, Miles Powell is a good example of it. I'd start with a, a sadness for him in terms of how his season came to an end and, and Seton Hall collectively and just adding them to the mix of all the NCAA uh, college teams and other uh, players because of the finality. I thought he had a great year. Um, he he improved so much in terms of not only shooting because everybody thinks of him as a shooter, but I think his leadership was pretty good. I think that, you know, there was a time where if you recall about midway through the season, he had a concussion down at Rutgers and the next couple of games, or it might've been two full games or at least one and a half games. He didn't play. Then he came back and he, you know, he was turning down shots. So his teammates could get more involved because he recognized that they had grown and improved over just a short period of time with the opportunity due to the fact that he had that uh, concussion. So I think his growth was good there. I think his leadership, he had, a, obviously he can shoot the lights out. He can, he understands how to score. So well-deserved for him. Uh, unfortunately, no big East, no NCAA tournament. And I think, you know, I think it would have been interesting for Seton Hall, you know, um, they were, were slotted in, in terms of doing really well until probably the last two weeks of the regular season. Then Creighton came out of nowhere. Villanova was kind of sneaky, um, consistent, not all the time, but just playing well enough to keep winning the games they had to. So I think their NCAA run would have been similar to the Big East. I don't think there was a lock in the Big East to say, okay, well, Seton Hall is going to win this Big East tournament because, well, wait a minute, hold it. You got Villanova playing pretty well. You have Creighton at that time pretty well. And that school up in Rhode Island, you know, Providence up there in Rhode Island was playing very well. So um, you just didn't know. And then, you know, St. John's, I think, beat Creighton at the end of the year. So I don't think anything was a lock for the Big East tournament. And I surely don't think anything was a lock for the NCAA tournament. Although I think if they had the right matchups, I think they could have done uh, very well because Kevin Willard really understands his team and understands his job and did a a great job this year as he's always done over at Seton Hall. Well, he has had a terrific run. Unfortunately, it won't be five straight NCAA tournament appearances for the Pirates. They'll look to extend four in a row next year when hopefully we're back to normal and uh, we can put this nightmare behind us. Jimmy, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it and uh, good luck on the golf course. Hopefully uh, you hit them straight and uh, you find that, that, that short iron game from 100 yards in. Yeah, hope, hopefully I find that, Maddie. And uh, thanks for your time. I appreciate you asking me to be part of this. And uh, as my youngest son, Andrew, said to me, I think it was uh, about 10 days ago, he said something like, hey, Dad, it's only 372 more days to the NCAA tournament. So we're all trying to keep a positive attitude here to look forward rather than look behind. Absolutely. Again, thanks, Jim, and best to you and your family. Thanks, Maddie. Same to you. And that will do it for this edition of Pirates Talk. Again, thanks very much to Jim Spinarkle for joining us. And congratulations to Miles Powell being named first team All-American, the second Pirate to do so as he joins Walter Dukes, who back in 1953 was accorded the same honor. What a year, what a career for Miles Powell. And I'm sure no one will wear number 13 from here on in. Unfortunately for Miles and Seton Hall, 
and the rest of the college basketball world, the season came to an abrupt end. But we wish him and all of you the very best of luck and good health and safety as we move forward during these trying times. Thank you very much for your company. Bye-bye.